Hey, it's Stephen Henderson. Coming up on the podcast, we're going to talk about housing here in the city of Detroit and an idea to give more people access to housing, the idea of small-dollar mortgages. Detroit Future City CEO Anika Goss joins to talk about a new report that says this is one of the pieces that might make more housing available to more people. Anika, always great to have you here. Thanks. Welcome back. Thanks for having me, Stephen. So I want to start with uh, something you have uh, in this report. It says, without small-dollar lending, many Detroiters may not have opportunities for homeownership at a price range that's affordable for their current incomes. I want to start with talking about why that's true why and why we have this need, I guess, for mm-hmm. small-dollar mortgages. Right. Yeah, so uh, I think we've said before, uh, and I I really appreciate your preamble um, because we have worked really hard looking at the housing issue in Detroit, Uh, but two-thirds of Detroiters make $50,000 or less. And what we've also seen year over year is we are no longer a homeownership city, that about half of Detroiters are renting. And we're also seeing Detroiters renting long-term renting as well, which is I would I think people are really not paying attention to. And if you're a long-term renter, meaning you have been renting the same house for especially a single-family home for more than five years, you're really a homeowner, mm-hmm. right? And you should have a mortgage. <laughs> so if you can pay rent consistently right. for that long. And so we've, you know, when when the majority of the city is making less than $50,000 a year, there has to be other alternatives to create wealth. And wealth is just not attached to your wage at your job. But wealth is what you can also accumulate as a household over time. Yeah, yeah. Um, That idea of the long-term renter and Mm -hmm. transferring that that long-term status, that stability to home ownership. You know, there are a lot of folks who don't necessarily believe that's possible, right? Mm -hmm. I think there are a lot of people who think, well. They're renters for a reason, and and maybe homeownership is not for them. But of course, the flip side of that is that wealth building and generation in this country still really is about what property you can own and build on and build equity in. Um, uh, talk about how we get people from that stable renting situation mm-hmm. to that first home and why we're having such a hard time in Detroit doing that. Yeah. So I feel like we've spent so much time only focused on the the individual household, the borrower, right, or the homeowner, mm-hmm. when in fact the system itself is not conducive to uh, the diversity in homeowner uh, borrowers. So the majority of financial institutions and major financial institutions do not want to make a loan for for less than $100,000. Although many, what we've seen, and according to this new study, 
much of the the majority, like the vast majority of home sales in Detroit were less than $100,000. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so while some of this is, in fact, how can we move uh, renters to homeowners, we actually have to have a system where there's enough available housing stock that's affordable and there are enough places that are willing to lend um, at for for less than a hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars to these kinds of borrowers that we're talking about, and there's just not enough of both of those things. Yeah, uh, when we talk about this issue with housing, I, I think we're talking about gaps, right? Uh, we're, we're talking about, in some cases, gaps between uh, what you need to put down on a mortgage to buy a house in some cases. Uh, we're talking about gaps in the valuation of a house that you might want to buy by a bank uh, who, who who might say, yeah, you want to pay $100,000 for that house, but we really only think it's worth fifty. So yeah. you, you can't really buy that with a conventional mortgage. The small dollar mortgage idea you guys have is aimed at that second gap. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Well, it's it's less of an idea as much as it we're trying to lift up what's happening in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. We're beginning to see more financial institutions, especially over the past few years, um, provide, whether it's a credit union or CDFIs like the Opportunity Resource Fund, um, or even... Um, you know, other kinds of financial institutions that, like Rocket, for example, that are doing these mortgages, we're beginning to see an uptick um, in these small dollar mortgages. The purpose of the report was to really shine a light on that because it is an opportunity. Because what we've seen is black home mortgage or black home owners increase which is a good thing. Yes. Right? And if one of and what we realize is that one of the reasons that we're seeing black home ownership increase is because of these small mortgages. And so the more we can do of that, then the more we're able to stabilize some of these neighborhoods and the better space we can give between the renter and the homeowner in terms of moving towards back to that homeowner city. Yeah. So so if if you had to lay out a scenario I guess for our listeners where yeah. these small dollar mortgages would make the most difference. What what would that look like? What kind of families are we talking about? What kind yeah. of areas of the city would yeah. this work in? So in the report we looked at three neighborhoods that I think are pretty stereotypical of uh, the city where we're seeing these mortgages happen. And these are places where the average homeowner, the the median price, which is different than the average, but the median price uh, was between 40000 and 55000 um, And these are places where neighborhood like St. Mary McCrary, mm-hmm. Fitzgerald neighborhood, and then the Denby neighborhood on the east side. And these are these are neighborhoods where the homes are fairly small, where they've they've been traditionally renter neighborhoods, where we're seeing more of an uptick in these small mortgages. 
And there, it's neighborhoods like these that I think probably get ignored, right? They're not, I mean, Fitzgerald's gotten a lot of attention because of Mary Grove mm-hmm. and the investment from the Kresge Foundation, but people don't even know where St. Mary McCrary mm-hmm. is, right? The only reason why I know, my great aunt used to live there. <laughs> so, <laughs> and but it was a really, these are also something, Stephen, the way to think about it, these are neighborhoods that were the bedrock of home ownership for Detroit for for years. These small cottage and ranch style homes. Mm-hmm. These are not the giant, you know, mammoth homes in Boston Edison or the neighborhoods surrounding that. These are really, you know, cottage neighborhoods that have been turned over to renters that were hit hit really hard during the foreclosure crisis Mm -hmm. that are now being stabilized with this small mortgage. And I feel like these, that's just an example. There are neighborhoods like this all over the city. Yeah. Um, The, the, the idea of where, how we got here, I think is always kind of important to keep uh, emphasizing. Uh, When, when you and I were growing up here in Detroit, uh, these were neighborhoods where families lived and owned. Yeah. In, in huge numbers. I mean, I knew people who lived in all of these neighborhoods uh, when we were kids, black families mm-hmm. who lived in these neighborhoods and owned their homes. We need to remind listeners of what happened. Why did that home ownership not translate as it has for many other communities into the kind of wealth that people have now, the kind of opportunity that people have now. You inherit your house from your parents, and that gives you a head start in life. Mm -hmm. Why did that not happen Mm -hmm. in these places? I mean, I think people really forget that the financial crisis was only um, a little over 10 years ago, and where, where entire blocks were emptied out due to foreclosure and then the tax foreclosure wave. Mm -hmm. So um, there's a lot of damage that's been done. and But we've come back in ways that I think people are really unexpected. And um, the the impact of the loss of um, homeowners had a devastating effect on Detroiters. And I think, you know, we've said in, in other reports that and and this continues to impact housing choices do black detroiters will live anywhere in the city because they know the city mm-hmm. and feel comfortable mm-hmm. in the city right any neighborhood any neighborhood and we have to continue so th- so what it requires stephen is for us to really think about neighborhoods holistically so in order for black neighbor for people to choose middle class black detroiters and people who are moving into the middle class to choose these same neighborhoods that we live where everybody owned when we were growing up we also have to make investments in these neighborhoods to make these neighborhoods whole things like home repair things like parks and other amenities planting trees and gardens so these places are beautiful, access to commercial services so that it's easy to live in these neighborhoods, even if they're small, modest homes with that, that with small, modest mortgages. That's how you stabilize the neighborhood because those neighborhoods 
were modest then. Mm-hmm. You know, these right. weren't necessarily these weren't like hugely expensive homes then, but there was a much tighter community fabric in yeah. those communities. Yeah. Uh, they were they were really gateway communities, yeah. right? Uh, the, the first home that a family might own would be in a place like that. You hang on to it for twenty or thirty years; it's worth more. You sell it and uh, either pass that that uh, equity on to your to your children, or you buy a bigger home, maybe in the city or somewhere else. And and that's an important part of sustainability uh in 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 big cities and that's what we that's what we lost when all of that crashed down that's right we'll be right back with more detroit today Anika, before we get to our listeners, I do want to talk about the lending side of this uh, because that's that's always really critical, but it's especially critical here in Detroit. Um, and the history of lending in the city, problems we've had uh, in the lending market. Um, talk about how how all of that comes to bear on this question of small dollar mortgages. I mean, in simple terms. It seems like these would be easier mortgages for people to get. They're not as much money. And when you think of the other kind of lending that banks do, unsecured lending for <laughs> credit cards that you can run up fifteen, twenty thousand dollars on, it, it, it seems incongruous that they might give people a hard time about thirty or thirty or fifty or a hundred thousand dollars on a house. So, so talk about that lending environment and how it confounds this issue. Yeah, that is, um, I, you know, it's really interesting. And last year, we produced um, a report called Buying In that analyzed the Humda data and looked at lending in Detroit. And that was one of the things that led to this. And I should also say, for this report, we partnered with Data Driven Detroit, and this was made possible by the Black Wealth Data Center and Bloomberg Philanthropies. Um, But interestingly enough, part of the reason we're not seeing lending in small dollar mortgages is because you can't really make money off of it. (laughs) You know, and so the major financial institutions are not really, it's very difficult actually for them to make these kinds of mortgages. To our understanding, they call these these mortgages special purpose pro credit programs, mm-hmm. right? Where they keep the these small mortgages on their books, and so there are programs that they have. So for the major banks, where that would allow for a small dollar mortgage, mortgage, credit unions and small CDFIs that do front end mortgages mm-hmm. have been doing this for years. Mm -hmm. And that's who you would go to if you needed a mortgage for $30,000 for a home. Um, And so we're starting to see more of this. We're certainly seeing, and this is in the report, we're seeing the demand for it. Like The demand for these small dollar mortgage as much as three to one in terms of applicants Hmm. to approved 
mortgages for these small dollar mortgages. And so there's definitely people want to try to do this. And so I do think that we have to figure out a way to make it easier for the banks for for you know the my issue is that the way we've done small dollar financing or small dollar home ownership has happened in Detroit but it's usually done with cash mm-hmm. in that space yeah. where there wasn't much of a market you would just buy with cash a home right moving into that space where you get a mortgage it's not only good for that person to build wealth over time, but it's good for the city to have that kind of invest, that capital, that mortgage capital investment. There are still parts of the city where there are no mortgages at all. Yep. And that that is problematic. Right, because when you go to a bank and try to get a loan, one of the things they look at is every other house around the one that you're trying to buy. Exactly. And if they don't see other mortgages... Uh, they think it's. They think that is associated it's with risk. It's not underwritable, exactly. Right. Yeah. So that that it's really, really important. It's something that the other issue that I want to bring up about the small dollar mortgage is, I think one of the reasons this is also important is because by pushing these types of mortgages helps to increase the overall value of home ownership generally mm-hmm. in Detroit. Mm-hmm. And that has to be something that we want, the position that we want to take. What concerns me about black home ownership increasing is that it's only increasing because of this increase in black people owning homes that are $100,000 or less. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, you know, I want to see black people win. I want us to, <laughs> to have mortgages and financing homes that are much higher than that. And so if we don't increase the number of small dollar mortgages, we're not going to get to that $250,000 market yeah. or higher. Right, right. Uh, again, 313 577 1019 is the number here on the phones. Let's start today with. Lucy in LaSalle Gardens here in Detroit. Uh, Lucy, welcome to the show. Hey, good morning, Stephen. Thanks Hi. for taking my call. Uh-huh. Um, and Anika, I I know you from way back from Rose's Fine Food. Oh, <laughs> but, um, yes. Yeah, Hi. So, yeah, Lucy is a familiar uh, face oh, and great. voice here on Detroit Today. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm a realtor now in the city, and... I was just calling in because, you know, one of the, I think I've probably even called to say this before, but one of the things that is a big hurdle for a lot of people I find buying in the city is still like the property taxes and the uncapping that happens a year Mm -hmm. after you purchase your mortgage payment goes up all of a sudden because your home, you're usually, you know, you're buying at a higher price point than the home was previously sold for. Mm -hmm. And so the taxes are reassessed. So that's one thing that's been difficult. Um, another thing that I've found is like also in these kind of like lesser known neighborhoods, like I have a listing in Wildemere Park right now that has been really difficult to sell and we're dropping it down to basically a hundred thousand dollars and we started at like one thirty, is that you know, it's across from an abandoned school. It's a really cool house. Mm-hmm. It's a great spot, and, you know, it's really centrally located in the city. You can get to anywhere, but 
people just keep turning it down because they're like, oh, this neighborhood is, is not good, you know, and it's like, well, that's not really, you're not <laughs> seeing, you're not seeing it, but, you know, yeah. mostly down to the city just still like not really getting its act together in the ways <laughs> that we need it to. <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, Lucy, the, I, I really appreciate you calling in and making both of those, both of those points. Um, you know, as a reference point, I guess, uh, I will point back to the first home I bought in the city 30 years ago in Woodbridge uh, in the in the mid 90s. Um, there was an abandoned house that had been on fire across mm. the street from from mine. And the trouble we had with the lenders over that over that property was also pretty pretty difficult and and also when we sold it um uh, a lot of lenders were like what's what's going on there now you know the truth is we were so enamored with the house that i don't even remember <laughs> seeing that abandoned house until somebody pointed it out to me um but but it's still uh, an issue in lots of neighborhoods here what's around you and how that makes buyers feel, but also how that makes lenders feel. Absolutely. That, uh, uh, hi, Lucy. And that is such a, you've made some really great points on both of those issues. And uh, the tax issue, you might recall the land value tax uh, policy that um, the, the Duggan administration was trying to really, push this was one of the reasons right this this the idea of tax equity um is is a real challenge in the city and we have to be able to address that from a policy level i think you know the people forget or don't realize that when you're being appraised for a loan or for insurance Vacant property, abandoned properties, the conditions of the other homes in your neighborhoods, abandoned lots, all of that goes into consideration mm -hmm. and puts your personal loan at risk. And that makes it very, very difficult. And I think we've said that multiple times that we have to, you have to be able to really think about what goes on in that neighborhood and that it's so much more which is how we started this conversation so much more than that home buyer that might be working on their credit that might be saving up money to get ready for that mortgage mm -hmm. only to find out that they can't buy that their dream home because there's an abandoned school across the street because there was a uh, there's a there's a abandoned gas station on the corner, all of those things contribute to the value and your ability to obtain a mortgage. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, Lucy, really appreciate uh, the call and uh, all of that info. Let's go next to Gene in Detroit. Gene, welcome to the show. Oh, good morning, Stephen. Hey. Good morning, Anita. You're absolutely correct that the affordable housing in Detroit is from the existing homes that are already there. The cost of new construction is prohibitive. One of the best ways to advance that is to take advantage of the laws that are already on the books 
uh, regarding uh, nuisance abatement, repair to own, and uh, uh, basically a, a home uh, repatriation where you put uh, the owner into the home through the ordinance and you front load all your costs, not to acquisition, but to home repair. Hmm. That's where you want the activity in a home repair loan that will bridge the gap between what the potential homeowner can do in their own sweat equity and what really needs to be done to make the home livable. Hmm. And that will add value right then and there. Hmm. Yeah. Gene, uh, uh, I really appreciate uh, that point, this idea of the condition of the housing in Detroit. I mean, you guys have focused on that a little too at mm-hmm. uh, Detroit Future City. It does tie into the mortgage question, but but it goes more to, I think, the sustainability of these communities, right? If, if you buy a home for not very much money, but it needs work and you can't get the money to do the work after you buy it, uh, that that also keeps the values low and prevents you from the kind of equity building that we're talking about. Yeah, we definitely need a diverse set of financial tools in order to make this. I think that's really what the what both callers have um, have described is that there's not one tool for this in a neighborhood, right? We need multiple financial tools Absolutely. in order to make these neighborhoods work. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Gene, really appreciate the call. Let's go next to James in Detroit. James, what's on your mind? Hi, hi, Detroit. Hi, my friend Stephen. Yes, uh, yeah, I'm James, and I'm a former uh, long-term resident of Detroit, and I've moved away, and I want to come back. I have a son, and he's a perfect fit for the community, and uh, I am too, and uh, we're just having difficulty. I had a lot of personal problems, and uh, so I'm I'm, uh, looking at getting a mortgage, trying to buy one of these very affordable homes in Detroit, fixing it up. I have some practical skills, uh, graduated University of Detroit and uh, architecture school, but I'm not practicing architecture now. I'm kind of retired. I taught for 20 years, and I'm finding you know it's not even worth applying for the mortgage because I know it's not going to go through. I really don't believe the banks are going to find a way to, you know, with all the barriers to, to give people back the homes that make them good homeowners again. Their profit motive is very high, and uh, I know that uh, the circumstances have to be really well explained. It takes a lot of time to explain why I want to flip houses in Detroit, why I want to bring Detroit back with the other good people who are investing in Detroit. Mm. And uh, it's just a difficult thing. My, my my credit score is like 550. There's a reason for that. I got it up to almost 700 at one point. And now it's going back down because I've got circumstances. My mother died. Mm. And it's just, you know my money's tied up in probate court and different things like that. And I just, I don't look good on paper. So they're not going to lend me the money. I'm just afraid, you know, that uh, the the plans I have, which will be good for me and good for my friends of Detroit who are nearby me. Mm. um, You know, I'm, I'm so broke. I'm, I moved to Angster, then I'm, I can't stay in Angster. So then I moved to Irish Hills, and that's mm. costing me money to travel. And it's just, you know, I'm all stressed out. And uh, uh. I'm, I'm a guy who's a potential good bet because I paid mortgages for years. I lost $70,000 in a mortgage crisis. I got $100 for my home in Novi. Oh. So it's like I want to invest in Detroit because I know it's stable, more stable than the suburbs, the way that the banks were treating us. 
And, uh, you know, I'm not as ambitious. I don't want a $200 million home. I don't want a $200,000 home. I want a $30,000 right. home I can fix up. I've got <laughs> skills in roofing. The banks will hire me as a roofer to put half a roof on a house. They pay me crap. And, uh, you know, and I get away with living day by day that way. Yeah, James, I really appreciate the call and that uh, and I've issued. There's so many issues that he pointed out there that, uh, that homeowners are dealing with kind of all over the place uh, here in Detroit. Uh, James, really appreciate the call. Let's go next to Jillian in the North End. Jillian, welcome to the show. Oh, hi. Thank you. No, uh, it's Joanne. Oh, I'm I was sorry. Gonna say, uh, yeah. No problem. That's no problem. Um, so my neighborhood still has burnt out buildings. You should see this one uh, building the land bank wants to sell. It isn't even boarded up on the first block. And and uh, they don't even put land bank on the outside. It's RCH Realty selling. And they call it their marketing candidates. And I called about one house because I knew they wouldn't sell the side lot that my neighbor had been taking care of. And they said... Land Bank said, oh, well, we have a pending offer. I said, may I ask what it is? They said 25000 but you need to have 25050 cash for us to even consider it. Wow. So I'm, I'm bringing this up because there's a, there's still abandoned buildings or vacant buildings here. There's still burnt buildings. There's still mysterious fires. And then I'm wondering where is the city coming up with this demand for all this expensive, like, uh, studio, uh, one-bedroom, mostly apartments, you know, this $1,000 stuff a month. I just don't get it. And um, so there is something to do with location, as the lady had discussed before. There were some communities, a kind of bedrock uh, home homeownership communities. But this was, too. I used to work in this neighborhood back in the 90s, and I returned to the city, and I'm horrified at how much has been destroyed. And I would argue that the destruction of so many of these historic homes, it did not stop the blight. It did not stop the crime. It sure did facilitate, uh, you know, costs for some developers, it seems like. But um, I, I don't think we're trying hard enough to help people with the home ownership. I'm not a banker. I don't know the answer. But I just wanted to throw that in there. That a lot of it has to do with location. And I think, you know, a lot of people's secretive plans that have not been revealed to us yet. Mm. Uh, again, the stories about what's going on in these neighborhoods and with individual properties and, and people trying to make a difference, it's as I said in the open, this this is such a complicated problem, and there are so many different little problems that contribute to all of this. Sometimes I just kind of feel overwhelmed when I hear people talking about <laughs> all of these things. You know, there's not a way to wave a wand, I guess, and and take care of all of this at once. It's not, and and I, you know, I think with both callers, all of the everyone who's called in. Th- I think it's a real test testament to the commitment to Detroit, right? That's really overall people want Detroit, their their neighborhood, wherever they're living, they are invested more than any other city that I've worked in or lived in. People are invested in what happens in the neighborhoods where they are right now whether they're renting or owning, they want their their neighborhood 
to be great. And so it does, it is a really heavy lift. It's a heavy commitment and it's a heavy investment. It, it requires everyone to make this investment. And so I, I, I really appreciate everyone's individual story also, Stephen, because it's tough. You, you, if you're choosing Detroit, you are making a choice. Yeah. <laughs> you are making a choice to see the whole city great, right? That you don't have to. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, Anika Goss, always great to have you here with us on Detroit Today. Uh, congratulations on the new report, and uh, thanks for coming by. Thank you so much, Stephen. I really appreciate it. Today's episode of Detroit Today was produced by Sam Corey and Nick Austin. Our technical director and engineer is Nate Bender. Our assistant producer is Maddie Boyer. Editing and mixing is by Connor Anderson. Our music is by Sam Bobian and Will Sessions. Our podcast manager is David Lyons, and our program director is Adam Fox. Detroit Today is a production of WDET Public Radio. If you love the conversations we have on Detroit Today, consider donating to WDET, the public radio station in Detroit that we call home. If you want to be a part of the conversation and call in, you can listen live every day on WDET.org or on the WDET mobile app. Or if you live in Southeast Michigan and still love listening to good old-fashioned radio like me, tune in to 1019 FN.